Hello, 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 my beautiful supernatural successors. It has been too long. Look, I'm telling you that, but really I'm telling myself that. I've been busy, busy starting a, a new job and neglected my sole responsibility of sharing the love with you guys. That's what it's all about. So today I'm here to share some solutions to addiction. Um, more specifically, how I healed from a heroin addiction. There really isn't a one size, one and done approach to healing an addiction. It comes down to choices, daily choices that slowly but surely begin to open new doorways one upon the other as you begin to consciously choose the path of love, acceptance, allowance. And I've been thinking about this episode a lot. I've been trying to plan out what I would say because it, it first was a bit inexplicable, inexplicable to me. I, I clearly see and understand how different my life is today versus where it was five years ago, but it's taken me a while to figure out what exactly changed. Now, in order for you to have a better understanding of where I was, I think it's important to share a bit more about how I got to this point. So my whole life growing up, I, I felt this innate, you know, not enoughness, had a lot of fear and anxiety and doubt in my world. Outwardly, I think I always had um, this light. I always knew that we were all connected. Um, I believed in, you know, treating other people well. I, I mean, I still believe that. But my inward life did not reflect that. I guess what I mean by that is I've always believed firmly in you know, treating other people with kindness and acceptance and love, but I, I couldn't align that with the way I was treating myself. So I, um, I started drinking and smoking weed in high school and, um, evolved from that into pain pills. And when I met my uh, boyfriend in college, I remember our first date. 
he really wanted to go play. No, I really wanted to go play tennis. I had met him through my next door neighbor. And I remember it was the summer and I really needed a job. And this guy worked at a restaurant and offered to help get me a position there. So he did. Um, and I started working there and I was really trying to play more tennis. I wanted to start playing tennis. I wanted to learn tennis. I really have never played that much, but I, I love doing it. And so I know that he wanted to, you know, get to know me, spend some more time together. And so we had plans to go play tennis together. I think it was like a Saturday morning and he texts me and says, Hey, is it cool if we like, don't play tennis and we just go get a beer somewhere? And I said, no, that's cool. We could just get together another time. I want to go play tennis. And he said, no, 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 we can go play tennis. <laughs> and, um, so we did, we went and played tennis and we had like such a good time. It was so fun. And then afterwards we went to the bar to get a beer and we're sitting at the bar. We both ordered our beers and he's goes outside and he's on his phone. I could see him, you know, out the front of the restaurant. And I'm like, what's he doing out there? Doesn't he know I'm in here? <laughs> and so I went out there and he told me he was going to get some pain pills down the mountain. And so I naturally said, well, I want some. Let's go. And we did. We drove through the, um, through the mountains. It was like sunset and we got down there and we got them. And then we were driving back up and the drive back is always better and shorter than a drive there when you're waiting for it. So we, we took some of those buddies and we're driving back. It's like sunset in the mountains. This was like going through West Jefferson and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And I remember thinking like, damn, these things are good. <laughs> I'd always liked the way pain pills made me feel, but I never really had the chance or opportunity or the access to do them consistently. Um, that all changed. I was working, I was waiting tables, making a lot of money and, you know, pretty much every other day we we're driving down the mountain to go get some more pain pills. And this went on definitely, well, for years, but all through the summer making money. So it really wasn't an issue. So I'm spending like, I don't know, somewhere between like $250, $300 every other day or something. I mean, it's a fucking expensive ass addiction. Um, you know, I did end up graduating college, but I remember I was in my Spanish final and I was so fucking sick and he was supposed to, he was going down the mountain to get some and he was going to bring them to me hopefully in time for my final. So I could like get my life together mentally and emotionally, physically. And, uh, he did, I left, like, I was like 20 minutes into the final and he told me he was outside and I was like, Hey, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I went down there and got him. Anyways, we decided to move in together. We'd already been living together in the mountains, but after graduation, I wanted to move to Atlanta because I was going to work for this logistics company. I don't know where I got that idea. One of my professors, I asked him, what do you think I should do? He's like, logistics is always good. And I said, all right, 10, four. 
So we moved in together in Atlanta and spent all of our money. Like literally, I think I spent between like $800,000 to get paying bills on the way down there. They were gone by the time we had finished unloading our truck the next day. So what do we do? I look up, you know, the hood in Atlanta. Where do you go? Oh, you go to the bluff, man. Hell yeah. Go down to the bluffs. He was a little bit more experienced at this, you know, kind of how to get drugs from, you know, people on the street. So he had like $20 in one pocket, $40 in the other pocket, took off his watch, you know, took off all any of our jewelry or whatever. And we met two different dudes. I won't share their names for their anonymity's sake, but one of them, the shit was terrible. And the other one was great. We got some dope, started doing heroin. I'd already done it a little bit, but not, not like this. I don't want to get too explicit here, but I didn't know how to do it. And we, you know, I figured that out pretty soon. Um, That situation did not last long. I wasn't able to stay in that job down there. I ended up moving back home and I continued to fuck around with pain pills, with heroin, really whatever I could find. That was not a sustainable lifestyle, but damn it, I sure tried. So... I don't know, a year, two years goes by, maybe less. I decide I'm going to move back down to Marietta with my mom and started grad school. And I was like, this boyfriend and I, we were not technically together, but we were still very close. And I was away. It was like halfway through my program and I had got a, um, I got sponsored to do a talk at the international positive psychology conference. And it was going to be me and my partner that we're going to be speaking. We had, we were doing a thing on millennial coaching millennials in the workplace. The day before we leave for Montreal, she backs out. So here I am in Montreal. It's like the night before I'm going to be, you know, speaking and I call my, you know, my boyfriend slash best friend. And I tell him, oh my God, she backed out. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is like, I'm so nervous. And he said, honey, you're going to kill it. You are a fucking rock star and you're going to be great. I have all the faith in the world in you, something like that. And it made me feel really good about myself. I knew that I could do it in that moment that if he thought I could do it. I knew I could do it. And he was actually in treatment, um, again, out in California, at the time. Um, and so I, I did, I did my, my speaking engagement and I was on my way home, uh, from Montreal back to Atlanta and my f- connecting flight in Toronto got grounded. And I see that he's calling me my best friend and I pick up and I just let him know, Hey, I'm in this like long ass, like 300 person line with Delta trying to get a hotel voucher. Like, can I please call you back? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. This is my phone. I, you know, I'm done with treatment. I just got out. Um, give me a call. So I spent like hours in that line or something. I ended up getting an Airbnb that I got to at like two or three in the morning. And my next flight was like at 6am and 
Meanwhile, mind you, I was um, going to the methadone clinic. And at this point, I had like three days of take-homes or something, which meant I had to get back that morning in order to, to make it to the clinic in time, you know, because driving from the airport to there. It became apparent I was not going to make it there in time. And I'm like, you know, having a breakdown, like crying to my mom on the phone. Like, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm going to be sick. Da, 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 da. Finally, I get back to my apartment in Marietta and um, I go to open my email. And there's an email there. There was an email there from this guy's dad saying that he'd been found by his friend dead in a ditch somewhere outside of Irvine, California. Right outside a motel. And my whole world just collapsed. I didn't know who I was in the world without him. Because it had been just us for so long. You know, like about, I guess, five years from when we met until then and gone through so much together. And I just, I knew that he felt like he was the only person who knew me and understood me and loved me no matter what, other than my parents. But they didn't really know the extent of what was going on with me. I mean, they knew part of it. But that was my best friend. After that happened, I, I was distraught, you know, for a couple weeks, maybe. I don't, I don't know that, or I do know that I didn't really process it because I, I really didn't know how. I, I was beside myself and I, I would go to call him and realize that he wasn't there. And, and I really didn't know what to do. I just felt lost. Like he was my, he helped me like navigate the world. And so I, I went downhill pretty quickly after that. I did, I, I ended up finishing my master's program, but not for lack of trying. I, found someone, or I wanted, I had run out of my Adderall prescription. And so I asked someone at my methadone clinic, did he know anyone who had some? He said, no, but I have this. And it was Matt. And I said, okay, cool. Fucking didn't. I didn't know how to smoke meth, but I learned. And 
it opened up a whole new level of fucked upness in my life. Okay, let me tell you. Like heroin, opiates, they're they're not good. Of course not. Meth is a whole other level, okay? These people, you know, you're not sleeping, you're not eating for days or maybe like weeks on end. Um, it really shows you another side of yourself and, and others and the, the world that you operate in when, when you're doing meth like that. <laughs> so I started dating a, a drug dealer there because he had all the meth in the world. Seemed like the right move. Um, I'm telling you all this so you have an understanding of how bad it had to get before it started getting better. Because I can't really talk about solutions or healing um, and how I healed my own addiction without giving you an understanding of the circumstances that led up to me finally... um, opening up to my soul, like consciousness to start making conscious decisions about my actions and, you know, deciding who I wanted to be in this world. So I just had no fucking clue. Like I said, I had all these ideas of, you know, how, what a good person was and how to treat other people. But like all of that really goes out the window when you're using or when I was using, because like the people I was around, like everybody stole from each other. There was always some really fucked up shit going on. People die. So I wasn't living my truth. I'd shut the door so hard on my truth. I I didn't even know what, what was going on anymore. When I had to write my thesis so I could graduate, um, from my master's program, I was so fucking amped up I'm not kidding. Okay. I had like 25 different topic ideas and stacks of research for each one. And there was no way I could figure out how to, well, how to to choose one. I remember my professor like made me choose one. I had got it down to like, I guess two different ones at one point. And he told me I had to choose. And so I did choose because I had to turn in like a draft of it for midterms or I don't know something. Anyways, my mom comes downstairs. She's like, what the fuck is going on down here? And I have just like papers everywhere. Like I'm just so all over the place. She literally like had to sit me down and like hold my hand to get me to complete a sentence. Like it, it was so hard. I can't even tell you how difficult it was. Like I, I had all these ideas, all this research, all of these things that I wanted to say, but to actually like get that down, like on paper or like into the, into my paper was impossible without her. I don't think I know that I wouldn't have graduated. So anyways, um, I did graduate and then after I graduated, I, I basically had nothing, no structure like to tether me to earth. Okay. So I'm, I'm like, I'd basically like moved in with this guy by this point. And I was on probation for some other fucked up shit I did like a year or so before. And I had done all my community service, I think, and whatever. And my, the judge wanted me to present myself to court, I guess, to like go over 
you know, the terms of my probation and everything being done. And I think I was going to be done after that. So I knew I had to be at court at a certain time, but time to a meth addict. Oh my God, please. So I, I've stood, stayed over at that, that guy's house the night before, and he was supposed to drive me to the courthouse at 9am. Okay. That never happened. Um, I had three different chances to turn, to go get myself into court. Um, ultimately by the time I did get to court, I was so averse to going to court. I'm like, doesn't he know? Like, I'm like a graduate, like I have a master's degree and I'm like a white girl. Like I don't need to go to court. I think he wanted me to turn myself in and stay in jail for 24 hours. That's like all I had to do, which is like nothing, but I'd never been to jail. Well, not for 24 hours. I'd been like in and out overnight or something, but I, I, I thought that I could get out of it by just not showing up. Okay. Well that didn't work. So I ended up having to turn myself in. I had to stay for two weeks for like violation of probation. That was my first taste of jail. But at that point it was like the movie blow. Like I'm networking. I think I found all these amazing people I could do drugs with when I get out and they like really care about me and da, 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 da. I, I meet this new connect in there. I think she's like so cool. She's like, you know, connected to the, you know, she's Mexican. Um, so I get out and, um, yeah, I start doing that. Fucking think I'm like moving weight here. Oh my God. It was a disaster. So that was in January. I think this was like 2017. It's really not that long ago. Yeah, it was 2017. Okay. So then I'm, I'm out and about, you know, doing my thing, still on probation and I'm driving home from this friend of mine's house. It's like six in the morning. Like the sun had just started coming up and I've got like all my drugs in the backseat of my car. And, oh no, prior to that, I was going to pick up some drugs from some dude and long story short, his like baby mama ended up trying to run both of us over, but she only ended up running me over and she drove her car into a fence and I was pinned under the car. I remember waking up and trying to get my arm out from under the, I think it, I felt like it was stuck. I later realized it was broken. Um, I ended up staying a week in the hospital. I had my clavicle was dislocated, broken pelvis, sacrum, humerus, all broken. I'm laying there in the hospital bed and my face is so fucked up from doing meth and picking. Like there's like, it's like horrid. I have a picture of this too. And my, like people would walk in like the, you know, orderlies or nurses and oh my God, you poor thing. You know, that's like all from the, like what happened to your face? And I'm like, I was in a car accident and I would tell them it was a car accident because it was so embarrassing. Like, what could I say? Well, I was picking at my face in the mirror at all of my pores for like two weeks. I mean, (laughs) so I let them think it was from the car accident. Okay. So I get out of the hospital and I, I didn't have fentanyl or anymore. No, they were, they were giving me Dilaudid in the hospital. Um, I get out, I'm supposed to be like in a wheelchair. Okay. Not supposed to be moving. You know, my arm's broken. It's like cut fractured in half. 
and I couldn't get, you know, my drugs just being stuck in the house. So I ended up having that drug dealing boyfriend come pick me up. And I remember him having to like, basically try to like carry me up the stairs, but I, I just, I wouldn't use the fucking wheelchair. I was doing so much dope. It really didn't matter at that point. I didn't feel anything. So then maybe a month after I got out of the hospital or something, I'm driving home at 6am. I get pulled over. I pull over. I have like all the drugs, like in my backseat, just like open. I had a lockbox from going to the methadone clinic and all my shit was inside there. And it was just like open sitting there. And I remember him like had pulled me over and it took me a, m- a minute to pull over because I'm trying to like put it away, but my fucking arm is broken and won't work. So I can't get the thing closed. And so it, it, it did take me a while to pull over. He thought I was like trying to get away. Um, he's like, yeah. And then I, I think I told him like, I'm on probation. Like, no, like I, you know, don't. And then I don't know if he, I don't know what would have happened, but anyways, he's like, oh yeah, you're on probation. Fucking lock her up right now. And he tra- goes to arrest me and put my arm behind my back. My arm's broken. It had started to heal at this point, but then that rebroke my arm. And so then I was in jail for the second time. This was like in May. Mind you, I was just in there the first time, like end of January, early February. I make some more friends. This time I had to go, I was basically in solitary because I I was supposed to be in the medical, you know, in the infirmary, but they didn't have any wheelchairs for a while. And so ultimately they just ended up putting me in the infirmary where there's like this shower, but you have to press the button every like 30 seconds and it's all just open windows. So people walking by can see you. I'm not supposed to get my arm wet and I only have one arm to push the button with. And the, oh God, it was a nightmare. So I get out of there by my lawyer getting the judge to mandate me to a rehab. So I go down to Pensacola to this treatment center. Dude, it was so nice. It's like on the sound with like kayaks, da, 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 da. I think I was probably only in jail that time for like a month, a little over a month, maybe. So that treatment center doesn't work out, but I, I ended up getting to the hospital down there was willing because I had to do something to my arm because it, that at that point it had been rebroken and was healing in the wrong direction. It looked like fucking crazy. It was like inverted, like it shouldn't be going that way. So he went back in and like made a, a clean break and put a plate and screws in there. And I had like, you know, 40 stitches staples in my arm, which I ended up pulling out myself because it was too complicated to figure out how to get back to the hospital. I I met this girl in treatment who she had multiple personalities and her, one of her personalities and I had made plans to move in together after treatment. But by the time we were moving out, it was like a different personality and she was going to get back together with her boyfriend in Texas. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So I ended up moving back to Georgia, still doing the same shit, same shit, different day, just getting worse and worse and worse. I ended up getting my settlement money from the accident, which my mom really didn't want to give me, but I, I, you know, she really didn't have a choice. I I made her life very difficult. I was just like, you have to give it to me. I bought this, like, um, I got myself this like white Lexus. I paid for it in cash. Then I started getting like a lot of dope at once. 
speedballing, got arrested, big girl charges this time. That's when I spent six months in jail. This time I really had to evaluate my life choices. I was so disgusted with myself. I mean, I was embarrassed. I was disgusted. I felt un, Oh God, I just didn't even know who I was anymore, but I started, started getting enough time away from that environment and all the drugs that my, I think my brain started to be able to heal. And in order to leave, get out of jail that time, I was mandated to a year long residential treatment program. And the program I had to go to, it was for homeless people and like IV drug users and pregnant women. And I'm trying to tell my mom I'm not homeless. And she's like, yeah, okay. You're definitely, where are you living, Amanda? I was like basically living in my car slash with that fucking boy. Oh God, he was awful in this like bizarre ass love triangle. He had this like woman, I think had been in love with him for ever living in the basement. She had a basement apartment and I would get in between like their fucking bicker. It was insane. So I got out, I was in that treatment program. And by this time I was, I, I actually got a little bit of clarity. I think my, I, I realized okay, all of this would have been, would be worthwhile. I would happily have done this if then I could reach back and help someone else not have to go through the things I went. So I, I felt that there could be a purpose to this. I was, I was beginning to see that I was beginning to get enough time under my belt where I wasn't fucking shooting drugs into my arm that I felt like I had some ability to actually execute that because until then I was like, I felt the one thing that I could never follow through. So I started to feel that. And then I started to like really realize like, well, Amanda, you've lost the freedom to choose basically anything about your life or the way you'd like your life to be because of the choices that you've made. So now all the choices are being made for you. Um, you know, in jail, you don't really have any responsibility. And I was, definitely not too pleased with the choices I did have. So I I said to myself, you know, this is what happens when you, um, neglect your responsibility to lead, lead your own life. Someone else gets to tell you how to live it yourself. So I, I did the, that program and it was like hardcore fucking evangelical Southern Jesus thumping place, which I know they've helped a lot of people. I do actually think that they helped me, but there was a lot of like fucked up shit going on in there. Um, still didn't really feel like I'd found my, my vibe at all. Didn't resonate with me on a spiritual level. I felt like my own spiritual beliefs were not, uh, respected or considered to be my own purview, like that I had to accept Jesus Christ as my savior. If I was going to get better from fucking being heroin addict or meth addict, please. Okay. So I got out of there and slowly from going to jail that last time and in this treatment center. And then I got to go to a, just a like sober living, um, which was definitely more freedom. And then a, I went to a different sober living because that guy turned out to also be a drug addict and was just fucking creepy. And um, 
and yeah. And I was in this outpatient group, which was part of being in the, the sober, that sober living I was in. And it was a group of, I'd say like 12, um, there was men and women, but I was the only woman aside from my other girlfriend who was in there. Uh, and we were a great group. I feel like I really healed more of my shit in there, in that group that meant like, you know, twice a week for a few hours than I did all the way in any treatment program or anything I'd been in before that. And then I started to see like, this is something that I could really do. Group coaching, group dynamics. I love being in a group. I love sitting in a circle in a group with people. I just love it. So my solution, how I healed my heroin addiction, it was, I had to get better. I had to get worse before it could get better. I had to like literally like dig this like fucking dark, deep ass hole in the ground and I had to keep digging it and see how far I could go before everything just, you know, fell apart around me. But I had to do that for me to get here. Because without it getting that bad, I would have just continued on that trajectory of like using everything all the time in order to like be with myself. And my life today, I have this fucking dope ass job. I'm in marketing. I got the car that I've always wanted. I got a Lexus again. I got a, um, a 2008 Lexus RX black. I just love it. I just love it. I have my dog Jackson. He's such a little, he's a potato head. You know what he is? Um, I meditate every day, almost always twice a day. I pray. I talk to myself. I talk to my higher being, my higher self, my soul. I ask questions. How can I impact the lives of others? Like what's the best thing I could do today? What do I need to know today? Whenever I'm like upset about something, I breathe. Like I get in my body and I feel my emotions. And if something's like upsetting me, I ask myself, what, what about this is upsetting you? Cause usually it's not the surface issue. There's something underneath that. I've learned how to have more compassion for myself and by myself, others and vice versa. My relationship with my mom is healed. It's like an entirely different dynamic than it was, as you could imagine. I spend time in nature in the morning. Jackson and I go for walks and I, I usually don't listen to anything or have my phone and I just like breathe. You know, being present in the moment in nature. I talk to these ducks 
There's like, I don't even understand. There's like two geese and then there's these ducks, which they're all like coupled up. There's like two pairs of them. And I don't know where all the other geese are. They've been around there, but I guess these geese chose to stay with the duck. I don't know. It's like cool, but those are the homies. I like talk to the birds. <laughs> oh, you think I'm crazy. I read a lot. I've been reading Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov, and my friends and I and my mom are going to meet and have a book club study about it. I realized today that if I take care of, of me just by doing like these things, everything else works out for me. I do yoga almost every day, although my shoulders are acting funny. So I, I've been just walking for the past week, but I, I love yoga. And I know that there's certain things I have to do for myself every day in order to be present. Um, I have like a lot of energy, anxiety, I guess it could be. And so I have to get that out in a productive way in the morning. Um, and then center and ground myself in, in my own body, being aware of like what's going on in there. Having compassion for myself, even when I don't feel good. I was upset about some shit yesterday at work and I went and, you know, meditated and just breathed in my car for a few minutes and I, it's, it didn't necessarily really help in the moment. I was trying to breathe fr from love and feel the love in my heart for myself, for my boss, for my mom. And it didn't really feel like it did a lot then. I, I just, I know that that's what I have to do. And so that's what I did. And then I got back to the office and everything was like resolved already. I'd already had an email in my inbox telling me that they, they'd fixed it. I'm like, wow, this shit really works. <laughs> so for me, it took a long time to get here. If you count from like when I started, you know, using in high school or when I started using heroin, you know, I don't know. God, I don't even know when, like 10 years ago or something. Or then when I started doing, you know, meth and when my, my boyfriend at that time died and then I started dating this drug dealer and then I went to jail and then I went back to jail and I went back again. Cause I had all my friends in there now. It's crazy. You go in there three times in a year, you start, you, you have people there by that point. Cause it's the same group of people going in and out all the time. Like there's always someone there that, you know, I even owed this girl money. She given me some like chips or some shit in my, my very first time in that January. And so when she saw me come back in May, even though I had a broken arm, was in a fucking wheelchair, she's like getting people in my pod to come ask me for the money and tell me I can put it under the door. I mean, it was so fucking crazy. So my solution is like how I healed my, my addiction was like, by letting it be and, and, you know, choosing to feed into it for a long time. I had to keep giving that energy out, letting it leave me, like putting all the power outside of myself until everything outside of me failed. All of the, the, things I had tried to do to protect myself and keep myself safe and all those things that they'd all failed. And I, I was left with very little. 
Um, oh, my car that the Lexus that I bought in cash that time was, uh, taken by the Cobb County court system because I had too many drugs in it that they, they can just do that. Oh, well you had over a certain amount. Yeah, this is ours. (laughs) So yeah, I lost everything. I lost everything, but I gained myself. I gained the willingness to look inside and accept that there was something in me worth communicating with, worth acting from, worth my focus, my attention that could help me when I was feeling all of these overwhelming feelings. Well, you know, by that point, it's like, I wasn't really feeling anything. I was so fucking numb, mostly emotionally. I I couldn't feel anything. So I did all of that so I could learn how to be this and feel this. I healed my heroin addiction by continuing to fucking be a heroin addict for many years and then branching out to meth because, you know, I'm an equal opportunity fucking psycho (laughs) or can be. And then I started accepting my own power and ability to create through meditation at first, getting in tune with my own, my, my own soul, my guides, my, my people that aren't people, but it's consciousness bringing awareness to these everyday decisions when I can choose to act out of fear um, or doubt or insecurity instead acting from love or just doing my best you know like yesterday I was really upset about something and I went and you know breathed from love feeling the love in my heart for myself and just the situation and and it changed everything it was in the moment that I chose to go do that that I realized is when the email came in that the, it was resolved. I was having issues with my Mac Mini. It's just a piece of shit. And so I wanted us to send it back and I wanted a MacBook Air for work. And they fucking, they, but right, when I chose to go sit there and meditate in love, I came back and I, I still didn't check my email. So I didn't know it was resolved, but that she'd already sent me the email with the return code for this one telling me when the new one was going to be here. Those are the kind of problems I deal with today. Okay. Look, that, I think that says something. I no longer talk to any of those people that were in my life when I was using. I still have friends from high school who were not like connected to that world, but that like creepy underground, dark, like meth world in, in, Georgia, no, none of that. None of that changed everything. I I moved back to North Carolina, changed my environment. And I only hang out with people who feed my soul and or who give me energy. And I was in this, I was in a, it was like, it was a pretty good job before I was, came into this one, but there was still a lot of, I learned so much there and had the opportunity. I really just grew my own my confidence in myself and ability to, to create. And then I got, you know, the external validation that I did that and could do it. And that led me to this new position, which is amazing. 
of course it's still like not perfect. Um, but I've been doing this podcast. I have you guys, I have like a community here around me of like people who love me and it's just amazing. So I tell you all of this so, so you don't feel like I'm trying to tell you like there's like a one size fits all thing for addiction. There's not. It's personal and it, and it does take time. But I'm hoping I want to help you collapse time between where you are and where you want to be. And I can help you do that. Now that I've found the way. That's what I believe my purpose is. To connect people to their own inner being, their soul, and to each other. And to help you transform your suffering, your pain and suffering, into the seeds of your greatest happiness. It's when we are faced with the deepest, darkest of our challenges that we reach for our very highest goals. And that has really been true for me. It is true for you. If there's anything I can do for you, if you want somebody to talk to, to help you through any of this, please reach out. My email is the T H E supernatural success coach at gmail.com until next time, my friends. Mwah.